بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد How is everyone? Everyone's good? Alhamdulillah Alhamdulillah You know there's that hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Whoever wakes up in the morning There's three things mentioned Whoever wakes up in the morning Mu'afun fi jasadihi Whoever wakes up in the morning, Mu'afan fi jasadihi. You're in good health. Everyone's okay? Body okay? Do a check. Okay? We can see, we can hear. We're speaking. Arms are okay. Legs are okay. Alhamdulillah. So that's okay. Mu'afan fi jasadihi. What's the second one? That's the third one. which means peace so you you are in peace um, in terms of like oh, so many so there's no like brother saying there's no war there's no fighting like for so many people for so many people when they leave their house come to a masjid for example they, they don't know if they're going to get back home alive um, either because of the weather is so extreme or because of enemies or wars or then they're in poverty or then they don't have a house to go to okay so you're living in a peaceful area shelter so three things number one was mu'afan fi jasadihi healthy in your body you're living in peace and comfort which take again and the third one is walahu qutu yawmihi is that correct qutu yawmihi this is very interesting as well the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam says walahu qutu yawmihi you've got enough food for that day have you got have you got enough food for today Right? Can you see the way the Prophet is telling us to think? And then what comes next is even more interesting. What does it say? Whoever, whoever wakes up in the morning, and this is a check we have to do every day. Alright? Check one thing. Am I healthy? Alhamdulillah. Number two, am I living in a peaceful situation? Alhamdulillah. And do I have food to get me through for today? Yeah, probably just in one cupboard, let alone the rest of the places. The Prophet ﷺ said, It is as if... Well, what's the words again? This person who has got these three things has been given the entire world. It's as if Allah has taken the whole world, like the best of this world, the best of this world. What, what, what more could, basically what more could you ask for? Allah has given you, it's almost as if he says, he's been given every goodness of this world. Good health, you're in peace, and you've got food for the day. What more do you want? So this is 
This is how we're starting off the day. And the Prophet uses the word, whoever wakes up. So we've woken up and this is something I do. I want to check these three things. Um, let's bring this into our life, inshallah. There are so many simple, simple um, ways the Prophet has taught us how to think. This is nothing to think, isn't it? There's nothing to do here. Think about it, right? Islam places a huge emphasis on the way we think and use our mind. There's a massive, all of these things, it's all about the way you see things, the way you think. There's a huge, huge emphasis. Like having Huskul Ghan, for example, it's the way you think. So, so many things. When it comes to gratitude, it's more about how you think before what you do. Yes, you can show gratitude as well. But it all starts from the heart and the mind, the beginning. So here, wake up in the morning, check for three things. Good health, alhamdulillah. And peaceful situation, alhamdulillah. Food for the day, alhamdulillah. You've got it. You're doing it. Like you're, you're one of the top, that top percentage in the world, right? Who's doing the best in the whole world. That's what it means. Like you're from, from one of those handful of people, chosen VIP, who've got it all sorted. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq. Okay, let's uh, carry on with what we've been discussing. So, today we inshallah, we're going to conclude on our topic of what topic is it? What we're discussing. So yeah, all of it's negative thinking, but specifically overgeneralization. Mashallah. He mashallah he like consumes the information. <laughs> mashallah, very good. So overgeneralization. And we've been speaking about this now for, I think, a number of weeks. It's a very, very common thing that we do. We overgeneralize and um, it doesn't help us. It doesn't help us in our relationship with Allah, first of all. It doesn't help us in our relationship with other people. It doesn't help us with our relationship even with ourselves as well. When we overgeneralize things. We miss out on so many opportunities and we may just make life hard for ourselves. Because one event has happened. Um, and it wasn't a good experience and then we overgeneralize by applying that to all scenarios that are like that. Whereas it's not always going to be like that. Okay, so we've discussed it in a lot of detail and now we've come to the end. So today I'm going to continue speaking about um, what we can do now to overcome this issue. Um, more importantly, we learned that overgeneralization, we spoke about uh, betrayal of trust specifically. If a person has been, for example, in a marriage and there's been betrayal of trust, or a person's been in a friendship and there's been betrayal of trust, or a person has had betrayal of trust from family member, and it's, it's very painful, it's, um, it's quite traumatic, it's a very, it's a hurt which you might not be able to see, but it's like losing a family member because you've lost a part of your life. You shared an intimate part of your life with an individual and it's all of a sudden it's gone. So it's, you've lost a part of you. So this is why it's, 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 it hurts. It hurts and it's difficult and it's a challenge. So um, we're going to learn now of how to move on with this 
specifically we said that when we go through this with another human being, what happens is in our minds, if we overgeneralize, we can then think that if I can't trust X, Y, and Z, or I can't trust anyone anymore because a person closest to me or a knowledgeable person or a family member betrayed my trust, how can I trust anyone? And if I can't trust anyone, can I even trust Allah? This is where it leads to. This is where it leads to. And we've already gone through all of the discussions to show that this does actually happen. Um, so now we're coming back. How can we heal our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, first of all? Because think about it. If a person has gone through such a difficulty, now because of overgeneralization, what you're doing now, what do you need? If you've gone through a difficult time like that, what do we need? What do we need? We need two things. What do we need? You tell me. Okay, which will come after time. But what do you need immediately? From who? Okay, so one is you need, you need Allah in your life more than before, right? And what else do you need? Support from well-wishers, close people. But what happens in these scenarios, a person pushes both of these away. Allah and close people. So you end up being in a situation worse than you were. This is, this is what we're saying now. So how do we heal from that and move forward from that? Because in this situation, because of we're trying to highlight the problem with overgeneralization. Why it's so bad for us. So in this situation where this individual needed, and we're going to revisit the case study that we opened at the beginning of Kathleen and Mustafa and what happened. We're going to conclude it and see after she understood what was happening, how she was able to help herself. So let's move forward with this now. And we're going to take some spiritual inspiration, inshallah, uh, from a hadith. So the Prophet has said, Whoever recites seven times in the morning or seven times in the evening, this what I'm going to mention now, um, Allah will grant you everything you desire from this world and from the hereafter. And the dua is, or the words are, Hasbi Allahu la ilaha illahu alayhi tawakkaltu wa huwa rabbul arshil azim. Some of us know it, some of us don't. But when I tell you what it means, you'll be able to understand why this is the perfect thing to read in this situation. Those of us that already know it, um, in our daily routine, uh, when you're coming for Fajr or in the morning you're going to work, fit it in there anyway, because it's something that's ought to be recited seven times in the morning, seven times in the evening. What does it mean? Let's take it from there first. Hasbi Allahu La ilaha Hasbi Allah First of all, Allah is sufficient for me. Right, look at that. Allah is sufficient for me. La ilaha illahu There is no God besides Him. Alayhi tawakkaltu I have placed my trust in him. Right, we just talk about trust issues. 
when we're feeling that we can't even trust, can I even trust Allah? What if I get disappointed? I might ask Him for something and I might not get it. I don't want to go through that heartache again. It was too hard. Okay? You're saying, In Him I have placed my trust. And He is the Lord of the Majestic Throne. Meaning, He's the Lord of the Majestic Throne. The Arsh is so huge. The seven heavens and the seven earths. Like, the, cannot fit into the Arsh. That's how huge it is. The Arsh is huge. It's beyond our comprehension. And if He subhanahu wa ta'ala is able to maintain something so great, and not only that, maintain the whole universe with responsibility, with integrity, with following a certain, you know, pattern and a rule. Why could he not maintain my little life? If Abul Arsh al the majestic throne, that huge majestic throne, he's managing it, okay? Why do I feel that if I put my affairs into his hand, is, it, you know, it's going to get messed up. So, Hasbi Allahu, Allah is sufficient for me. There is no God beside Him. La ilaha illahu, alayhi tawakkaltu, I have placed my trust in Him. Wa huwa Rabbul Arshil Azim, and He is the Lord of the Majestic Throne. This is an excellent reminder to implement in our daily routines. Every single day. Excellent reminder, and I think we can all benefit from this. One is the general dua, it's good anyway. But I think we all have trust issues. I think we all do. Everybody says, I can't trust anyone, can't trust anyone. And you think, why would somebody say that? That means we've been through experiences where things have happened and we've learned. And yes, you become a bit more wiser with the way you do things. But that doesn't mean that we push away well-wishers and we push away the greatest well-wisher who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, so when we say this dua hasbi allahu la ilaha illahu alayhi tawakkaltu wa huwa rabbul arshil azim Allah is sufficient for me there is no God beside him in him I have placed my trust and he is the master of the majestic Throne. Do you know when we think about the meaning, it actually affects our brain area that deals with interpersonal relationships. That part of our brain that deals with relationships with other people is directly affected when we read this dua with meaning. And that will help us soothe that hurt that is there because of the betrayal that has happened. So each time we read this dua with focus and meaning, it will help us soothe and heal. I will become, will be able to trust not only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the way we are supposed to, but even people as well. And one thing we can tell ourselves that no matter what happens, Allah is always worthy. Just like only Allah is worthy of worship, Allah is always worthy of being trusted. We might not, we might feel people might not be worthy of our trust. Okay, okay, that, that can happen. But Allah, we don't want to ever reach a situation where we cut off from Allah. And when we're okay and we talk about these things, it thinks, nah, that's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to do that. But when we do go through it, if we haven't trained ourselves, 
this does happen and those who've been through it will be able to understand and this is where the healing process begins so this is one um, technique I wanted to share from the Sunnah of how we can rebuild trust again with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala using this dua Hasbi Allahu la ilaha illahu alayhi tawakkaltu wa huwa rabbul arshil azim Think about it if we're living a life and we can't trust Allah or we don't trust Allah enough that's a problem isn't it? That's an issue that is an issue that we need to work on and nobody's perfect and that doesn't mean we start thinking oh no you know what's going on everyone has difficulties in this area to some degree that means that it's something we need to become conscious about and work on inshallah so that's one thing we can do before we go to the case study i'm going to share something else that we can do and this is um, very very powerful and we can use this in almost anything uh, so we're going to make it very specific to trust and healing here but you could apply it to all scenarios now to trust allah to trust allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to trust anyone well, let's talk about anyone first to trust anyone can you trust anyone like randomly any person if you don't know them yeah what do you think no brother Anwar smiling it's not a trick question <laughs> it's, it's a real question can you trust don't know them yeah 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 yes true yeah you you can't trust them because you don't know them you can't you're not going to trust everyone yeah you're not going to be very judgmental and just skeptical about everything and that that can happen but we're talking about deep level trust you're not going to go around telling everyone your private affairs right that you'll tell someone who would you tell that to someone who's close and you need to know them Adil Bhai. How, how well how well do you need to, but wh why do you feel you can tell Adil Bhai and not um, somebody else how well do you know him okay so look look at this this is this is paramount he knows him well enough just like we need to know people well enough to be able to trust them if we don't know who Allah is right and don't get me wrong here you're probably thinking how dare you say this to us I'm a Muslim I was born a Muslim what do you mean I don't know Allah we need to learn about Allah every day because Allah tells us in the Quran people have underestimated me they don't know who I am and this is why he keeps introducing himself to us in the Quran again and again we of course we know Allah you know when you say I know him but I don't know don't we say that about people I know him but I don't know him I know of him so we know of Allah we know of Allah you know who he is he's one he's alone okay you know for some of us Allah is like an ATM machine yeah we know him when we need him and Allah Allah tells us this in the Quran right proper ATM machine there's not no difference here 
Allah says, وَإِذَا أَنْعَمْنَا عَلَى الْإِنسَانِ أَعْرَضَ وَنَآ بِجَانِبِهِ When we bless the human being and things are going well in his life, he turns away from me. He doesn't even look back at who I was, who gave it to him. He's arrogant. He's just going along with his life. وَإِذَا مَسَّهُ الشَّرْ When some problem comes his way, فَذُو دُعَاءٍ عَرِيبٍ Then he makes long, big du'as. This is when a person, your God image, is like an ATM machine. I'm not saying this. Allah is telling us in the Quran that this is something we do. Um, and we've been speaking about this in the previous Jumas. So if anybody's interested, follow the last three, four Jumas. Um, and this is, you know, we'll continue speaking about this because coming towards Ramadan, everyone wants to get geared into worship, into praying, into fasting. But why do we fast? Why do we pray? Why do we do anything? If we don't know who we're doing it for, it becomes very ritualistic. So this is the aim of the idea of talking about this, is that we become a bit more real in what we're doing. You don't trust random people. You only trust someone you know, and you need to know them well enough. We don't know Allah as we ought to know Him. So our journey every single day and every moment in our life, our purpose of existence in this world is actually to know Allah. In one hadith Qudsi, there is a narration of why did Allah create everything? Because Allah wanted to be known. Allah wanted to be known. Why did He make everything happen? Allah says in hadith Qudsi that I was a hidden treasure. I created the universe so that I would be known. You know, it, it, we could have just gone straight to Jannah or straight to Jahannam or straight to nowhere. But the whole idea of the creation of the universe is the ma'rifah of Allah, to know Him. That is, there's nothing greater than that, to know Allah. We can't ever stop knowing Him. Right? It's something we do every single day, every moment, in every interaction. So, how can we build this relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Now, what is our relationship with Allah? What is it built on? What's the foundation? What are the essentials of our link with Allah? What's it based on? What drives you? For most of us, for most of us, or for many of us, should I say, and this is due to, again, the way we've been taught about Allah, for many of us, our God image is that of a police. That's and because of which we worship Allah out of fear. We do things, we pray because we think if I don't pray, I'm going to go to hell. We fast because if I miss a fast, I'm going to get punished. Yeah? Am I, am I, am I just speaking here for myself or is this sounding familiar? Yes or no? Yeah? This is, this is because this is the way uh, Allah was introduced to us from when we were young, right? It's not a time for us to go back and think, oh, why did they do that and why did they not do that? No, they did what was available to them at that time. But this is just the reality now. Whereas the essentials of worshipping Allah, it's based on three things. Three 
foundations that our relationship with Allah is based on. Number one is love. Always first love. Number two, of course fear. I'm going to explain that as well. And number three is hope. Our relationship with Allah based, is based on the, should be based on these three things. And we can develop and build on this every single moment of our lives. So let, let's, let's take one example. So how would we apply it now in this scenario? Um, so the best way to understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala better is through his names. That's why we have them. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala This is a command. Allah gives a command. Allah has beautiful names. Call him with those. Use them, he's saying. Use those beautiful names. And this is why we have them here as well, mashallah. Um, and we have them everywhere. These beautiful names are not to write in masjids, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, they're there as a reminder. It's beautiful. Allah, we don't use them. And by using them, we can go so far. So in Jummah, for example, we took just one name of Allah, As-Sami' the all-hearing. Um, so we can apply that here. It's, it's fresh, so we can apply that as an example. You could take any name of Allah. But in this case scenario, we can use As-Sami'ah. So this name, all-hearing, Allah is all-hearing. How can we help ourselves in this situation where you've been through betrayal, okay? Trust has been broken and you're hurt and a person is in pain and you're thinking, what's going to happen now? Can I trust Allah? How can we get closer to Allah and build that relationship? As-Sami'ah, three things here. We're looking at love, we're looking at fear, we're looking at hope. So how do we understand these, this name of Allah in this context? So when we look at love, for example, how can we build in our love for Allah through this name? Well, one of the things, what, what did we say about this name? We started off yesterday in Juma by speaking about what? What kind of peace people do we like? Close people, what do close people do? There's a lot of people who are close to us, but they don't, they don't listen to us. There's a lot of people who we consider to be close, who are supposedly close, okay? Could be siblings, could be parents, could be children, relatives, but we feel distant from them, or even though they are supposed to be close. And the key reason is, is because we don't feel heard by them, they don't listen to us. Um, so, and if a person that's distant from you, but listens to you, and you feel understood, how does that make you feel about them? What does that tell you about them? They appreciate you, they care for you. So here, number one, love, how can we understand this name of Allah? Love, we've got three things to work on. Love, fear, hope. Love. How can As-Sami'ah, focusing on As-Sami'ah, build our love for Allah? Because we can tell ourselves that the fact that Allah listens to me, that shows that He cares for me. And because He listens, because He's listening, is now when we understand His Sami'ah, He's not like human beings. You know what's really interesting when Allah says in the Quran, Laysa kamithlihi shay. There is nothing 
like Allah. What comes after that? He's got so many names. He's got so many names. Is it Samiul Alim or Samiul Basir? Any Samiul Basir? Is Samiul Basir? Allah says in the Quran, there is nothing and no one like Allah. And now obviously he's got so many names, but he used two over here. He's the all hearing and the all seeing. And the scholars mention that why does Allah from all of the names he uses these two here. When he says there is nothing and no one like Allah and he's the all hearing, all seeing. Could have used Rahmanul Rahim, okay, Azizul Hakim. And the scholars mentioned, well, one of the things that we have, which we kind of, uh, we also have, which is very apparent, which in name is the same, but of course, when it comes to Allah, it's infinite. When it comes to us, it's very limited, is hearing and sight. These are two things which we know Allah hears, Allah sees. But Allah's hearing and seeing is very different to ours. So this is why he bought these two things specifically because this is such a common thing that human beings have. Um, now Allah's hearing is complete. So how can we build our love for Allah? Well, when we know that he's always listening to me, he always hears me, meaning he understands me. He knows my issues, even when I don't say anything, when I'm silent. We don't have to say anything to Allah. When, when we go to people, oh no, I don't know how to start. Where do I start from? Where do I start telling you from? I don't know how to explain it to you. No, you've not got it. You've not got it. I don't, I, don't, I don't have the right words. With Allah, we don't need to do that. We don't even need to say anything. Because you can be with Allah at any time of the day and know 100% that He hears you without you saying it. And He gets you and He understands you. And that just shows so much care. Wouldn't a person love Allah more and more if a person was to think like this? Okay, so that's how we build our love. Because hearing indicates caring. Fear. Now again, this is not the fear that we've been grown up, we've grown up with. Of just, you know. No, the fear is different here. The fear that we have over here is this. So how can we use As-Sami'ah? So As-Sami'ah means the all-hearing. No, Allah hears everything. Allah hears everything. And there was the incident uh, of She came to the Prophet وسلم, to complain about her husband. She was happy with him. So she came to him to complain about her husband. So she's talking to the Prophet ﷺ, complaining about her husband, and Allah sends down the verses of the Quran of Suratul Mujadara, beginning verses of 28th Juz. The words of the woman who was complaining about her husband. And Allah is listening to your conversation. That, that's there. What I want to tell you is the next part, which is more interesting. Aisha radiallahu anha is the narrator of this hadith. She says, I was in the same room in the same house. I didn't hear it. And in those days, how big were the houses? 
They didn't have a kitchen, bedroom, living room, cinema room, and all of that. It was one small room and everything was there. She says, I was in that house when the woman came. Because I didn't hear it. But Allah heard it. And He revealed the verse of the Quran. This is, this is when we get to know Allah better through His names, as Samir. So, His hearing is such, Quran tells us, Whenever we say anything, Allah has got angels and they're writing it down. Now, because we know Allah's hearing is such that nothing misses him, he doesn't miss any information. Now, that should make me more conscious in what I say. Now, how do we link that to fear? It's not just about the, the hadith that say that the reason why most people will be tossed into Jahannam is because of their tongue. Now, that's good in itself. We need to know this information to have that level of fear. But that's what we need something to drive us, right? And it will be driven, even our fear, if it's based on love, it will drive us. If it's just fear based on fear, sometimes we just think, oh, very scary. And we just switch off. So here, how can we base our fear on love as well? And that is, a person is mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our speech when it comes to As-Sameer. I don't want to say anything to displease him. Why? Because if I displease him, I will lose his love. The fear of losing Allah's love. This is what we're saying. Not just random fear. We just talk about fear. And then we just leave it to that. No, the fear is this. I don't want to fall in his eyes. You know, sometimes someone you respect and you honor, it could be a parent, it could be an elderly person, it could be a sheikh. And you fear them, not because you're scared of them. The fear isn't of, it's not a scary fear. It's a fear of losing uh, respect in their eyes. But with Allah, we kind of have the, that, that fear, the police kind of fear. Right, so this is what we want. We don't want to fall in his eyes. We don't want him to, you know, not be happy with us anymore. So by using As-Samir, we're being conscious of saying that which pleases him. Can you see how, much, how this is much more motivating than just saying, like, watch your mouth. Right, otherwise you're going to go to hell. It's the same thing, but it's put forward in the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to us in the Quran. And what's the third one? Hope. So three things. Our relationship with Allah is based on love, fear. Third one is hope. And with hope it's, Allah is not just listening, but He also responds as well. So the way we can build hope is anything we ask for, anything we desire, any betterment that we want, we know that not only does He listen, but He responds as well. And that helps us to build our hope in him and not in anyone or anything else. Okay, so we've spoken about that. So two things I mentioned. One is, And number two is using Allah's names to know him better. We don't trust random people. Trust comes from knowing people. If we don't know who Allah is, how are we going to trust him? So getting to know Allah more and more through his beautiful names. Now, Let's conclude this um, topic on revisiting our case study. What was the lady's name? Kathleen. Everyone remembers these things. 
Huh? It wasn't Teresa. Who's Teresa? Oh no. What's going on here? MashaAllah. Seems like you guys are having another circle after this. Right, so we know that Kathleen endured something very traumatic. I'm not going to go over it again of exactly what happened because I think we've gone over it quite a few times. So she endured something very traumatic. It was very serious when she found out that about her husband's infidelity. That was like shattering for her when she found out. And because of his actions and what he did, that led her into a spiral of negative thoughts. And she just couldn't wrap her head around it. How could the person that I have loved, devoted, trusted for over 10 years, um, hurt, her, hurt me so badly? This is what she couldn't understand. And so it just knocked her down. And so that was that. But then he was, Mustafa was her introduction to Islam. Everything she knew about Islam was because of him. So when her relationship with Mustafa ended, her relationship with Islam and Allah started to end as well. This is, this is where we're looking at here. That when you start losing trust, over generalization, that's what she was doing, right? If he's so bad, then Islam would be bad. If Islam is bad, then Allah, na'udhu billah, is like this as well. And she started going and started to doubt everything. Because she'd been hurt so badly, and she was now in, in this, that was not a doubt, she knew, she found out about it. So now she starts to doubt everything. So she started experiencing um, these symptoms of trauma that we can see. She started getting flashbacks, for example, of the day she discovered the infidelity and the affair, for example. She started feeling really help, helpless. She started getting negative thoughts about herself and doubting, did I, what, did I make the right choice 10 years ago? Why did I choose this? Was I wrong in doing so? Started feeling shame and guilt. Withdrawal from family members and relatives and close friends. And sleeplessness. She started getting angry outbursts. Basically, these were all symptoms. Okay, and when these things happen, it's amazing because this is your body telling you, we shouldn't, we don't shut these things out. This is Allah's mechanism in your body telling you something's going on. There's an alarm going off in your body in different ways. Okay, your body is there to protect you. That's how it's been created from day one. It senses always on the lookout for danger. And when it's feeling in a certain way, it's giving you a message. It's giving you a message that there's lots of hurt here and it needs to be healed. You can't just ignore it. There's something going on. You're feeling like this because of a reason. We kind of have been taught just to ignore these things or just like suppress it and carry on. But if, if it's there, it's, it's indicating. So she realized after some time when she's get, having sleepless nights, random outbursts of just getting angry, um, getting flashbacks of what happened, all of these things that were happening. And then she started withdrawing, not talking to family, not wanting to speak to people. She kind of thought, hang on, I need help. I need to seek help here. So she goes uh, for therapy. She understands that I can't do this alone. And she goes and speaks to someone who knows what they're speaking about and it's also Islamically guided as well. So when she went to therapy, what, what she learned was quite fascinating. When you look at it, you think, oh, that's so simple. But in that moment, our mind's not functioning. We can't think that way. 
So when she went, she addressed what she was going through and she started learning one thing. The one thing she started learning was learning to differentiate between her husband's choice of betraying her trust and her ability to trust other people in life. This is the key lesson that she learned. Right? Had she been on her own, she wouldn't have known this. So when she went and she spoke and she put her situation, one thing she learned is to differentiate between, look, your husband chose to betray your trust. Right? That's different from you, your ability to trust other people. What you're doing at the moment is you're mixing these two things together. And this is overgeneralization. Because he betrayed you, you're saying because he betrayed you, okay, like you lost your trust in him, you can't trust anybody else. No, these are two different things. He betrayed your trust. You still have the ability to trust other people. This is what she learned, to differentiate between the two things. And I think this will be helpful for a lot of us as well. So this is the first thing that she learned. Um, she also e explored the connection between her faith in Allah and her faith in her husband. Started differentiating between these two things. Her faith in her, does she have any faith in her husband? No, it's gone. Does she have faith in Allah? Well, at the moment it's going or almost gone as well. So this is something, step two things that she learned. She learned to differentiate, realizing that Allah is beyond comparison to any human being. Look, without knowing Allah, right? That's what Allah is saying. People think Allah is like people. Allah is not like people. It's very, very different. You might share the attributes by name. But Allah is Allah. And if we don't have a holistic, complete understanding of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is what happens. So she learned that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is different, realizing that Allah is beyond comparison to human beings, on that, and that trust in her relationship with Allah could be actually a source of healing. So trusting Allah, she's thinking that that is what's causing her the problem. That is actually the source of healing of learning to trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now, when she came out of those sessions that she had, she felt empowered. She felt empowered. Up until now, she was feeling so bad. Now she's feeling empowered. Why? Being able to separate and remove her husband from her faith. Up until now, she was thinking, Islam is my husband and my husband is Islam. She was actually able to take him out of the picture. He's got nothing to do with my Islam. He's got nothing to do with my Allah. I can have a connection with Allah without him. And this is where she found her healing. That I can build my connection with Allah without him. And this is applicable, not just in this scenario. I mean, how many times have we heard about spiritual figures, religious figures, and you hear something, you know, whether it's true or not, that's not my job to go into whether, or is, is the allegation true? Did this happen or not? We'll, we've heard about it before and we'll carry on hearing about it. These things are not, you know, yeah, it's not nice, but it happens. And you know what? A lot of the times it's not even true. It's a false allegation. Sometimes it's true, but a lot of times it's not. Um, there's another whole big, huge case which will be coming, people will start finding about it soon. I'm not going to mention any details. It's about a very, very, very significant person. Um, and again, 
Allah knows, that's not for us to go into. But what happens when these things happen is a lot of us break down and we start losing our trust, thinking, if this is the person who I looked up to, who I learned about Islam from and listened to their lectures or got guidance from, and if they're like, like this, then what's the point? And people start turning away. So she went through this and she learned to differentiate between, okay, if he's done this, that's him. I can remove him from my Islam. My Islam, my connection is with Allah. Yeah, he introduced it, but between you and Allah, then it's just you and Allah. That's the beauty of Islam. You don't need anyone in between. Yes, we have. We have the messenger, we have guides, we have scholars, we have shuyukh, they guide us, they help us. But the thing is, when you stand to pray, it's just you and Allah. And if any of these people, individuals do mess up, then that doesn't impact your Islam and your connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when she learned to differentiate, she felt empowered. She began to feel a sense of ownership of her life, over her life, and her ability to have a strong relationship with Allah without her husband in the picture. She realized that her overgeneralization, what was her overgeneralization? What would you think her overgeneralization was? How would you put it into words? Her, what was her overgeneralization? All Muslims are the same, or else? That everyone will cheat on you? How can we make it even more general? Huh? All men are the same. But was it only men she distanced herself from? She distanced herself from men, from women, and from Allah. So overgeneralization, it, it goes very broad. So her overgeneralization was, I will never be able to trust anyone ever again. Right? Something we commonly say. I will never be able to trust anyone. Anyone is anyone including Allah as well here. I will never be able to trust anyone ever again. So this was, so she realized after having these sessions that her overgeneralization of I will never be able to trust anyone again led her to distance herself from people in her life who were her supporters. It led her to distance herself from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which only made her pain worse. As she explored and looked at her negative assumptions, she realized she was painting everyone with the same brush. And this is what we end up doing in overgeneralization. What she's basically saying is no one is capable of being a good person. And when you look at it from that angle, you think, hang on, that's not true. That's a bit unfair, isn't it? It's a bit unfair of us saying no one is capable of being a good person, uh, which is unfair to the people, especially that care about her. As she learned to accept that her husband's hurtful choices did not negate the fact that others had constantly been there for her, she was able to reconstruct her healthy relationships with other people. Slowly but surely, she built her relationship with Allah again and with her family, friends and well-wishers and she started her new life. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq and understanding uh, to overcome this. And uh, inshallah, next week we will have a session, but the week after we'll continue and we'll start another one, another unhealthy way of thinking, and we'll explore how to overcome that, inshallah. This week's lesson number.
71. Yep, 71. The question we have today is why has Baytul Maqdis been the most contested land on earth? Why has Baytul Maqdis or Jerusalem itself been the most contested land? We know that that land throughout history has been the most contested. So, Baytul Maqdis is a focal point around which the struggle between truth and falsehood revolves. History shows us that this battle between truth and falsehood is always revolved around that particular land. It's been the focus of attention and is considered the core and the origin of the struggle in this world. History bears testimony to the fact that those in control of Baytul Maqdis control the rest of the world. Think about it. We can look throughout history, think about now, okay, how can such a small group of people who very only very recently were given that land, it's not even their land, but they were somewhere else and by them being given it, right, they're still small, but it's given them huge dominance over all of the world, not even living in our pockets and in our minds and the way we do things, even though we're so many miles away. So this is the power and the barakah of that land and it doesn't matter who's there, it doesn't matter who has it. People of truth, people of falsehood. And, and that kind of answers it in one, like why is that the most contested land? As soon as people have figured out that it's there, it's that land, they fought for it. There is no other land because of which people have shed so much blood. Um, and it's one of the oldest cities throughout history and the most vulnerable to raids, vandalism, demolition. So much so that the whole city of Jerusalem historically has been completely destroyed more than 18 times and rebuilt. The whole thing. One is, you know, you, you get uh, a rampage and people cause corruption. and This is total annihilation. And Allah speaks about some of them in the Quran as well. So historically, they've written 18 times or more and then rebuilt again. We have so many examples. This is one example. There are so many like that. Um, so just a quick run through the history. So the first people to uh, inhabit this land were the people of Yabus, the Jebusites, Yabusiyin, and they were from the Canaanite Arabs who descended from the Arabian Peninsula. So it's interesting because the history of that land goes back to the Arabs. So they were the first people. If you want to talk about who came here first, well, the Canaanites were from the Arabian Peninsula, the people of Yabus. So they were the oldest people there. And then later on, we find that people came, people went, and there were many, many people. So these were the first people. And then people started coming from different parts of the world. You find different kinds of occupations. The Assyrians were from Iraq. This was a very big, huge occupation that happened in that particular land. Um, and there was a lot of uh, widespread um, killing, massacre, looting. And then after that came the Babylonian king, Bukhta uh, Nasr, the Bukhad Nazar, um, who captivated all of the Israelites at the time that were there, took them to Iraq, 
kept them as captive for many, many years, killed many people, looted other things. Um, and then 50 years later, the Persian king comes, Cyrus, and why people were so excited and printed him on the coin and everything. Uh, when Donald Trump, you know, they kind of made him as if the, the new Cyrus with his hairstyle and everything, they put him on there to try and show that just like Cyrus, you know, brought us back. Okay, this is the second Cyrus that has given us back uh, Jerusalem. So what he did was he brought the Israelites back from Iraq to this land, to Jerusalem and Baytul Maqdis, and they lived under Persian rule for two decades. And then we find um, that Jerusalem witnessed a lot of bloody events under the Romans. Uh, Titus, the Roman emperor came, he caused a lot of corruption, he besieged it. Thousands of people were starved to death. If you read the history, you will learn killing continues for months. The death toll was over half a million um, under the rule of Titus. And then the struggle continued between the superpowers until Constantine then accepts Christianity. He was a pagan before, and he decides to accept Christianity. Um, and then now all of a sudden what happens is Jerusalem and the surrounding areas becomes a Christian land. Christianity begins to spread. And because of which, remember, whatever's there spreads in the world. Right? Whoever is there, why is Baytul Maqdis the most contested land? One of the reasons, there's a number of reasons, but one of them is that history bears testimony to the fact that whoever controls Baytul Maqdis controls the rest of the world. And each period of time we see whoever was there, doesn't matter who you are, whether you're on Haq or you're on Batil, okay? Your, your ideology is going to spread from there. It's the nature of that place. So Christianity started spreading everywhere. And that's why you have so much Christianity in so many places in the world uh, because of Constantine uh, ruling over them. And it remained in this condition until Sayyiduna Umar liberated Baytul Maqdis without spilling a drop of blood. So this was a historic moment as well. Non-Muslim historians have written when they write about the Jerusalem, the history of Jerusalem and how it's been so bloody. And then when it comes to Islam, that without dropping a set of blood, not even one drop, peacefully how he was able to conquer Baytul Maqdis and Christians lived under Muslim rule uh, in peace until the onslaught of the who? Crusaders and we know that the Crusaders killed 70,000 people in Baytul Maqdis and the situation remained very dire until the coming of Salahuddin Ayyubi Rahmatullah Alayh who liberated it once again and now from the time of Salahuddin Ayyubi Rahmatullah Alayh until the First World War, again, Masjid al-Aqsa, Bayt al-Maqdis, Jerusalem, the Holy Land remained under Muslim rule, only to be occupied by Great Britain. How did Britain become great again? Okay, when you've got lands like Bayt al-Maqdis, okay, it allows you to prosper and gain this dominance in the rest of the world, causing the chaos that they did. Um, and that was in 1919. And then they found an opportunity to establish a state, which we're seeing now in 1948, right? That led to it. Otherwise, who would have, how, how would Britain have the power to do that? Okay, because they had Baytul Maqdis, they were doing X, Y, and Z throughout the whole of the world. And you think, you know, Britain's not, it's not a large country, but how did it become Great Britain? Okay, and similarly, what we see now, and then in 1967, 
um, Jerusalem was also occupied as well. So the struggle is going to continue between truth and falsehood, between the superpowers, and it's always going to revolve around Baytul Maqdis. Who has that piece of land? It's not huge land, but it's always going to revolve around that until the emergence of the Dajjal. Even then, Hadith tells us that until then, it's all going to be about that particular land and that particular area. Um, so we can see that the Dajjal is going to be the greatest fitna. It will all be to do with that land again. And this is something we've seen from the beginning of time till the end of time. Then we know that Sayyiduna Isa salam is going to descend, the return of Sayyiduna Isa salam. Sayyiduna Isa salam will return to the world. Um, he will overtake the Dajjal and kill him where? At the gate of Lut. And what's interesting is that the greatest triumph that this world will see will be in that land as well. So eventually, okay, this fight that has been going on from day one, right for years and years and years throughout the whole history of this world okay eventually we are even told what the results going to be that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to end this there by Sayyiduna Isa salam coming to fulfill this very important task and role of slaying the Dajjal uh, in that particular land and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he prophesied this there will always be a group of my nation who will fight for that which is right, defeating those who oppose them until the last of them will fight the Dajjal. Until the last of them will fight the Dajjal. Where is the Dajjal going to be killed? In Baytul Maqdis. So the scholars say that when the Prophet mentions there'll be a group of my people, well, the last part of the hadith tells us that until they kill the Dajjal, shows us that the group of the people will be speaking about Baytul Maqdis. Then the Yajuj and Majuj will come out in that particular land. And Yajuj Majuj are a force that cannot be uh, faced by anybody. No one, even Sayyidina Isa will not be able to fight the Yajuj Majuj. He will take all the Muslims, go into one of the mountains of Jerusalem and seek refuge there. And they will pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and only Allah will uh, cause them to perish and they'll be taken away. Sayyidina Isa is going to remain on the earth for many years and once Sayyiduna Isa salam passes away, that time is going to be a very unique time. And it's going to be a time when the earth will bring out all of its blessings. There'll be a lot of intimacy, a lot of love, a lot of affection, brotherhood, being very, very genuine. And the Prophet actually told us in a hadith, um, this is a beautiful hadith, I'm going to end on this. The Prophet said, Blessed are those who live after Isa alayhi salam. Blessed are those people who will live after Isa alayhi salam. When you will call out to the heavens, it will rain. This is, this is Allah telling us the ideal world. Didn't we speak about an ideal world? Right? The dunya is never going to, we're not really going to witness it normally. But if you wanted to see an ideal world, well, there's going to be one moment where you're able to see. When you see a paradise on earth, it's going to happen right at the end. Why? Because, because the troubles will have ended. What do you mean trouble? The trouble means the occupation of that particular land and anyone who is trying to fight for that land will be ended and it will come under Muslim rule and then things will be restored. 
And once justice, peace, and everything is restored, we're going to see how this world can also be a very good place to be in. The Prophet said, Blessed are those who live after Isa. When you call out to the heavens, it will rain. And when you will call out to the earth, it will bring out its vegetation. Even if you plant a seed in a rock, it will grow. That time will be such, if you plant a seed in a rock, it will grow. A man will pass by a lion without the lion harming him. And he will step on a snake without getting poisoned. Now this is what I want to mention. He says, there will be no enmity, there will be no jealousy, and there will be no hate. And that's powerful. That tells you that that is what's the desired outcome. What does it mean having peace, having love, having... You know, why are we doing all of this? This is what we want. Harmony, peace. That's the desired outcome. And anyone that works for peace and for a desired outcome which Allah wants, that is showing you that they're working towards a good good. Of, of course, without compromising on what's right and what's wrong. We don't want to mix the two. So this indicates that the struggle between truth and falsehood is going to end where? Where is it going to end? In Baytul Maqdis, in Palestine. That's where we will end. So, this week's campaign, inshallah, we've got two weeks to work on this. And it's a very important one. So, we've got two weeks, inshallah. So, next week we don't have a session. Um, next week, uh, two weeks' time, inshallah, when we meet. So, two weeks, let's work on this. So, the ultimate goal and result of establishing the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and liberating Baytul Maqdis will be to live in peace, harmony, and love. Right? We can see that. The Prophet clearly highlights that once all of this is restored, it, it's, it's going to bring about peace, harmony, and love. Let us make a conscious effort to implement this sunnah of the Prophet. What is it? The Prophet once spoke to Anas. And he says, Oh Anas, if you can spend a morning or an evening in such a way that in your heart you don't have anything against anyone else. If you can't do this, then do so. Then he, what, what is it afterwards? Is something for us to reflect on. He said, if you can't do this, then do it. Why? Because this is my sunnah. This is my sunnah. And whoever loves my sunnah, he has loved me. And whoever loves me will be with me in Jannah. So the Prophet summarizes everything into this. So a conscious effort that we strive to bring peace in the world and within our own little world that we have, this is the effort that we can make to have. And, and that will give us momentary peace, okay? Maybe it's limited within our circle, but we're trying to revive what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants. And that is peace. Um, so if we can spend the day, our hearts are clean. Before we go to sleep, forgive. Let's learn to forgive not harbor any enmity or jealousy. We have a grudge, let's learn to how to lighten our load. If we forgive people, Allah will forgive us. Going through these kind of things and pondering upon this and trying to keep a clean heart. This is the Prophet saying, this is my sunnah. Whoever loves my sunnah, he loves me. Whoever loves me with, with, with me in Jannah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq. Inshallah, we'll spend some time reciting Quran.
الله 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 لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إني كنت من الظالمين وإلهكم إله واحد لا إله إلا هو الرحمن الرحيم اللهم لا أحسي ثناء عليك أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك جز الله عنا سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ما هو أهله رضينا بالله ربا وبالإسلام دينا وبمحمد صلى الله عليه وسلم رسولا ونبيا الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا الهدان الله اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله اللهم لك الحمد ولا نعمة الإيمان ولك الحمد ولا نعمة الإسلام ربنا ظلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين رب اغفر وارحم تجاوز عما تعلم إنك أنت الأعز الأكرم رب اغفر وارحم أنت خير الراحمين O kind and loving Allah O most compassionate Allah O the forgiving Allah O Allah you love to forgive sins O Allah O Allah please forgive us O Allah Please forgive all our sins O Allah You are the only forgiver O Allah We beg you for your forgiveness O Allah We are in need of your forgiveness forgiveness of Allah grant us your forgiveness of Allah you love to pardon you love to forgive of Allah you love to overlook of Allah you are Halim of Allah you are Kareem of Allah you are Rahim of Allah you are Ghafoor of Allah Allah you love to forgive our sins of Allah Allah we beg you for your forgiveness of Allah we are sorry for what we have done of Allah we know we shouldn't have done what we did of Allah we wronged ourselves of Allah it was our fault of Allah we did wrong of Allah we committed wrong of Allah Allah we are drowning in our sins of Allah we have committed many sins of Allah but we know that you your forgiveness is way greater than our sins of Allah our sins are greater of Allah but your forgiveness is much 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 more greater of Allah Allah grant us your forgiveness of Allah grant us your forgiveness of Allah grant us your forgiveness of Allah help us to stay away from your disobedience of Allah help us to obey you O Allah make us those who live a life of halal O Allah grant us a life of taqwa O Allah grant us a life in which we establish the salah O Allah help us to become punctual with our salah O Allah grant us presence in our salah O Allah grant us khushu' in our salah O Allah grant us awareness in our salah O Allah grant us the reality of salah O Allah help us to draw closer to you through our salah O Allah 
make salah an important part of our lives, O oh Allah. Help us to revolve our lives around salah, O oh Allah. Give us the ability to give salah the importance it needs, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, help us to become much more closer to you when we are in sujood, O oh Allah. Help us to become closer to you, O oh Allah. Throughout the day, O oh Allah, throughout the night, O oh Allah, through dua, O oh Allah, help us to obey you, help us to follow in the footsteps of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Grant us his love, O oh Allah. Grant us the love of his ways, O oh Allah. Grant us the love of Iman and Islam, O oh Allah. Increase us in our love for Iman and Islam, O oh Allah. Build us more in confidence, O oh Allah. Grant us more conviction, O oh Allah. Grant us more conviction and yaqeen, O oh Allah, that Islam is the only way, O oh Allah. It's the best way, O oh Allah. It's the most complete and holistic way, O oh Allah. There is no better way, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, grant this yaqeen to us, O oh Allah. Safeguard us from doubt, O oh Allah. Safeguard us from suspicion, O oh Allah. Safeguard us from from wavering, O oh Allah, safeguard us from O oh Allah moving away. Rabbana la tuzil qulubana ba'da idh hadaytana wa hablana min ladunka rahma innaka anta al-wahhab. Ya mukhallib al-qulub, thabbit qulubana ala deenik wa ya musarrif al-qulub, sarrif qulubana ala ta'atik. And when our final moments come, O oh Allah, make our last day our best day, O oh Allah. Make our last action our best action, O oh Allah, and grant us death with Iman and Islam, O oh Allah. Those who are suffering throughout the world, grant them ease and afia, O oh Allah. In particular, those in Turkey and Syria, O oh Allah, have mercy upon their condition, O oh Allah. Help and sustain them, O oh Allah. Protect them, O oh Allah. Help them, O oh Allah. Guide them, O oh Allah. Sustain and protect them, O oh Allah. Take care of their needs, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, you are the best caretaker of all affairs, O oh Allah. You are the best caretaker of all affairs, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, take care of their affairs, O oh Allah. Take care of their affairs, O oh Allah. Take care of their affairs, O oh Allah. Assist those who are assisting them, O oh Allah. Assist those who are assisting them, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, many people have selflessly gone over to assist and help, O oh Allah. You reward them, O oh Allah. You reward them, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, grant them the strength to continue, O oh Allah. Supporting your servants, O oh Allah. Help and protect them, O oh Allah. Those who are starving, grant them food to eat, O oh Allah. Those without clean water, O oh Allah. Grant them clean water to drink, O oh Allah. Grant them peace and security, O oh Allah. Grant them shelter, O oh Allah. Grant them protection, O oh Allah. Safeguard their Iman and Islam, O oh Allah. Grant them the perseverance, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, it must be so challenging and so difficult, O oh Allah. We can't even imagine, O oh Allah. Grant them afia, O oh Allah. Keep us with afia, O oh Allah. We thank you for keeping us with afia, O oh Allah. You have kept us with so much well-being and so much goodness, O oh Allah. And so much peace and so much security, O oh Allah. We thank you for this, O oh Allah. Increase us in these blessings, O oh Allah. Help us not to be ungrateful, O oh Allah. Help us to show gratitude for all of these benefits and these favors and these bounties you have showered us with, O oh Allah. Increase us in afia, O oh Allah. We are always in need of your afia. Grant us afia at all times, in all moments, O oh Allah. Bless us in this month of Rajab, O oh Allah. Bless us in Sha'ban, O oh Allah. And help us to witness the holy month of Ramadan, O oh Allah. Help us to prepare for the month of Ramadan prior to its arrival, O oh Allah. Those who are sick, O oh Allah. Those who are going through difficulties in hospitals, O oh Allah. Those who have health conditions, O oh Allah. Grant them complete afia and shifa, O oh Allah. Those who have requested us for du'as in particular, O oh Allah. Grant them complete afia and shifa, O oh Allah. Shifa is only in your hands, O oh Allah. You can make anything possible, O oh Allah. Grant them recovery, O oh Allah. Grant them shifa, O oh Allah. Those who have left the world, fill their graves with nur, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, have mercy on our parents, O oh Allah. Look after our parents, O oh Allah. 
Those of our parents who have left the world, become pleased with them, Allah. Well, unite us with them in the hereafter, oh Allah. Safeguard us all from Jahannam, oh Allah. Grant us entry into Jannah to Firdaus, oh Allah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He asked for many good things. We ask of you the same. He sought your protection from many evils. We seek your protection from the same. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati. Amma yasifoon wa salamun ala al-mursaleen. Walhamdulillah.